It got me fired up. I'm over here about to preach the gospel. Oh, man. Um, first of all, extremely happy to be preaching today. Um, I met some new folks, Sarah, Jason over here. We got Sonia from Germany. And uh, can we please make sure if we see any new faces walk into this building that we do our part to reach out. Amen. Let's give them that Cedars uh, welcome. Um, so something that uh, the worship team uh, sang on the second song um, it hit me like a ton of bricks as I was sitting back there. And you guys know I'm a crybaby. And I cry every time we hear these songs and it connects to my spirit. But um, I was thinking about the, the lyrics that says, I got peace that, that makes no sense. Amen? And you guys know that, that oftentimes when I, I'm given the, the privilege to come up here and preach God's word, I'm, I'm fully transparent about where I'm at, Right? And what that allows for you to experience is like, hey, this is what I'm going through. And by, by letting you, know, you, you guys know these things, I get a lot of support and prayers. In order to be fully loved, you must be fully known. So it's really cool to get a prayer from Al outside for, uh, you know, uh, Alma to pray over me before service. And I'm just really grateful for the community that I have in Cedars Church. And I also think about... Like for me right now, this season in my life, I am extremely happy. Extremely happy. And when I think about the joy that I'm feeling and experiencing, I heard a quote this week that says that the happiest people in life are those who are always changing for the good. And, and I see these type of quotes and I'm like, how does this apply to my faith? And it's true because what we as believers believe is that we are being changed into the likeness of Christ. That, that in this process of faith, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit, you are born again, and in this faith, you are to grow in maturity, to grow, to grow in wisdom and in stature. And what happens when we as followers of Christ are growing in this wisdom is you start to have a new perspective of everything in life. Everything now is not what it seems because you have this kingdom mentality, this, this eyes fixed on things above where everything that happens is not going to dictate your spirit. It's, gonna, it's not going to steal your joy. Suffering is now put in its rightful place. The suffering of this time is nothing compared to the, to the glory that will be revealed. Amen? Paul embraces suffering because he understands that it's in the midst of suffering where he will develop a firm and strong faith. Faith not tested is faith that can't be trusted. So we need to be changing. And the more we, we change into the likeness of Christ, we can walk around this world with our chin up. Doesn't say, doesn't mean that we're not going to face hardships. No. But it does mean that you have the hope of Christ in you to operate and navigate through all of these storms of life. And what's important about that is, before I begin, I want to just, can we just give it up for Jasmine? I remember the conversation Jasmine had and she was like, hey, I'm thinking about this thing. Should I do it? I was like, you know my answer. 
And so she's like, okay. And then like two weeks ago, she gets up here and she shares. And then yesterday, she's like, hey, I got to talk at church tomorrow. I'm like, what are you, you going to do? And then she goes on and tells me, I'm actually going to do the thing I said I was going to do. And I'm like, Jasmine, are you kidding me? You crazy? <laughs> and it's like, the kingdom of heaven is like Jasmine. Right? To, to really trust. And, and I want to really, um, I want to say thank you to Cedars Church our leaders and elders that opened up this door for Jasmine to experience something, a seed was planted and she is running with it. And it's, it's, it's this type of leadership that we get to operate from and we, we trust God and what the, the leaders are, are guiding us to. And then people like Jasmine get to step in faith and take this amazing risk for the kingdom. And so ultimately we operate from this thing called truth. And in order to be effective, we must not water it down. We must not add to it. And so in order to transform and change and to, to experience this type of joy that makes no sense, we must understand that truth cannot be tainted. You ever have a, a, a person that, in your life that is telling a story and... This is a story that has to do with you. You were, you were at this situation or experience. And every single time the story is being told, some things are added or a little bit of more suspense is added just to give them a little bit more punch to the, to the story. But you don't say nothing because you don't want to embarrass them. You don't want to correct them in front of everybody. So you just let them do their thing. But what happens is, is, is if you don't say anything, it affects the authenticity of the story. And that's what we're going to read today in the book of Galatians. It's a situation about a Christian brother who's about to correct another Christian brother. And this isn't just any Christian brother that's being corrected. It's Peter, one of the pillars in the faith. And so please turn to your Bibles. We don't have slides today, but so please, old-fashioned style, pull out them Bibles on your phone or your physical Bibles. We are going to read to... Uh, turn to your Bibles to Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 to 21. We got about 10 verses here, and I'll begin reading. I'm going to read from the NLT. But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face. This already doesn't start well for Peter. For what he did was very wrong when he arrived. He ate with the Gentile, Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by this hypocrisy. Now, Barnabas is, a, is the co-worker of Paul, so I kind of can relate when, when you're... Your bad influence is influencing one of mine. That, that, that's, that's when it becomes a problem. When I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all, of all the others, Since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? You and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like Gentiles. Yet we, we know... This is important. He says, yet we know, like you and I know, 
that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Jesus, because of our faith in Christ, not because of because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever meet, be made right with God by obeying the law. But suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Jesus, and then we are found guilty because we have abandoned the law. Would that mean Christ has led us to sin? Absolutely not. Rather, I am a sinner if I rebuild the old system of law I already tore down. For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. For myself has been crucified with Christ. This is what Esteban read at the end of worship. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. Hold on to that verse. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law can make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, which is God read for correcting, rebuking. Lord, I thank you so much for this opportunity we get to gather in your name to worship, but to hear your voice and allow your, your correction and your love through your word to, to do as you will for us today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, something to point out, a little background, is that this is one of the first threats to the church. Um, Paul actually was the, the, the first actual threat, <laughs> like physical threat to the church. But when we read about this situation that's happening, Peter was a disciple of Jesus, and he is tying himself to this, Jude- to, to, to this like, concept and idea that you, the Gentiles have to be um, circumcised and then baptized in order to be part of the family. And this is a problem. This is a huge problem. He's not telling the story right. And so this letter is written by the Apostle Paul and is written by fellow brothers and sisters who are with him at the moment. And this is not specifically to a church of Galatia. It's actually a churches in Galatia. This is, this is a region. This, these churches were planted in Paul's early missionary. And so the, the cities that, that Paul had planted these churches were in Derby, Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. And these are fun chapters to read, Acts 13, read them on your own, and Acts 14, to, get, to familiarize yourself with the groundwork that Paul establishes in these places. And so the truth is the Jews were not happy to hear this good news, that Gentiles are, have this easy access. They were jealous. And in a sense, they were tying to these Gentiles and, and they were putting this law because there was no appreciation for the grace. It was too easy. How did we go through all of this, through the wilderness, to Exodus, and then all of a sudden these people can just believe and make, make it in the door? <laughs> and it's just, it's mind-blowing to them, right? And so 
Paul is accused of watering down the gospel. But this is the gospel. It's not watered down. This is grace. This is God's love. And, and in this moment, Paul chooses to correct Peter. And when we think about the apostle Paul and how he opposes Peter, the thing that I want us to, 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 to think about, if you're looking at your Bibles, verses 9 to 10, there is this sense of unity that is happening before the correction. But we'll, we'll, we'll dive, that, uh, dive into that in a little bit. So Peter is seen eating with Gentiles, but the people he knew would disapprove this um, show up, and he starts to retract on his love and hospitality. And these individuals that believe in this, they, Paul literally cared more about what they thought than what God told them. And as Christians, how often do we water down the gospel because we care more about what other people think than what the word says? And as a pastor, I think about passages like not everyone should be t- become teachers of the word because we're going to be held at a higher judgment. And anytime we come up here and we preach the word of God, may we be the, the, the voice of God to the people of God. May we not distort or water it down. But in terms of correction, okay, a people of God, our duty as pastors and shepherds is to correct. If we see something wrong, to point it out. But that doesn't mean that we, me, Tim, Jordan, Ray, are not like, like that we don't need that correction as well. No, we need this correction, right? And so it's, it's, a, it's a healthy place to be when we can be okay with correction, God's correction, We are broken, we are fallen, but God comes and he does this work in us. We are forgiven, our salvation is sealed, but the work begins as this Holy Spirit lives in us, and as a body of Christ, we do this work to correct. So, let me ask you this question. When someone is giving you constructive criticism, do you tense up feeling a sense of anxiety, or do you embrace it? Let that marinate. Do you say, yes, please, correct me, I need it? (laughs) Or do you just kind of ignore it? In verses 11 to 13, But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face, for what he did was very wrong. Why does Paul, and it seems malicious, you know, but like I said, you go back to the, the prior verses, it's a setup. He's setting the correction up, but because in verses nine it shows that James, Peter, and, and um, it shows up James and Peter that they there is this kind of like inclusion. They're accepting him and Barnabas as their co-workers, and then he goes into this correction. It says when he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. So, so what's really important to identify? Is this in verses 12? There is this Jewish tradition that I feel we've lost in the church. This tradition of acceptance, this tradition of breaking bread with people so that we, th- we can get to know them on a deeper level. And Jewish tradition recognizes a meal as a time of intimacy, fellowship, and significance in conversations. Kindness is a basic mood of the Jewish meal. People are fed, they're nourished, 
And there's an intimate setting where you can talk about things that truly matter. And I'm looking out into this church, and there's a few of you that I've gotten the privilege to invite into my home. And, and just to kind of camp on that, I know the context is, is not focused on it, but I don't want to glaze over this beautiful Jewish practice of breaking bread with people. And what I've learned is that if we are going to be beacon of light, light and love within the church and in the community, but we don't practice it in our own home. Sundays is great. I think Sundays is a great tool. It's a, it's a great place to come and gather, gather and learn and worship together. But if this is the only place where we try to, to build strong relationships, we are missing out. How many of us are actually sitting with each other in this room breaking bread? Somebody invite me to their house right now. <laughs> Let's go. All right. All right. Is, that, is this happening? Jerry, Karen, we're having... Jerry's like, wait, what? What's happening? <laughs> no, no, because it's, it's that easy. It's actually that easy. See, see what just happened? She just raised her hand, and I'll bring something. She'll, she'll cook something, and we'll, we'll hang out. We'll get to know each other. But in the process, we're, we're, we're talking about faith. I'm, I'm, these are one of my biggest encouragers in the church, Right? Like, I mean, they just smile so beautifully, too. But what I love about these moments that we get to immerse ourselves into relationships is, is that correction is easier when you know the people. Don't you, don't you think it's weird for me to correct you if I don't even know you? Paul was with these guys for 15, 15 days, okay? And Paul in chapter 1 explains his position. He tells them, hey, this is who I was. This is, you know, I'm the most zealot. Don't call me somebody who's watered it down. I know everything that you know, if not more. And, and I wasn't just chosen by some random dude. Jesus specifically calls me on the road to Damascus. I'm chosen by the one. So, 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 so receive this correction. So Peter is getting this correction in front of everyone. And it reminds me of Colossians 4, 5, and 6. Live wisely. Now, this is a, a, a text to, to non-believers, but this also applies to believers. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response to everyone. My conversations used to be filled with just sports and, you know, just my weekend but every single time I meet somebody for the first time, there's an opportunity to share God's love. Ask me about my weekend. Oh, I went to church, man. I went serve God. I got to do this. And it's like people are like looking at me like, what? Yeah, let me tell you more. You season your conversations with Christ and every opportunity you open the door to allow people in to understand the grace of God because faith comes through hearing if we are not speaking the truth of God's word, how do we expect non-believers to hear and receive it? Amen? And so we must be mindful of every opportunity. But in terms of this situation with Peter, Peter has influence in the church, major influence. And initially I, I thought to myself that, you know, this is a message to leaders. 
But the truth is, it's a message to all of us. We are all being led by Christ, and we're called to lead others to Christ. So this is something that, as Christians, we have to understand the influence that we have on others. And it wasn't just what Peter said, it's what he did that was detrimental to the Barnabas, to anybody else watching. Because people knew if Peter didn't sit with these people, he was contradicting himself. Hey, weren't you just sitting with them? Reminded me of high school when, you know, somebody, one of your friends have beef with somebody and then like you're like, you're cool with them. And then once they walk in the room, sorry, I can't talk to you. Peter literally does this, right? But Peter is falling away from the true gospel. Is that through Christ, he unifies I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus because it is the power to salvation to those who believe. Not the Jews, to those who believe. To the Jews first, and then to the Gentiles. And so it's important to, to, to identify that we, as a people of God, need to understand that this is an inclusive gospel with an exclusive message. That Jesus is the only way, truth, and the life. That no one comes through the Father but through Christ. 14, when I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter, in front of all the others, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make Gentiles follow Jew- Jewish traditions? I... I, like I asked you the question about, you know, do you receive correction? And I used to be somebody that just, no, I, I, I just avoided it, the way it made me feel, right? But Pastor Jordan and I, actually two weeks ago, we got into this huge argument. <laughs> and I've known Jordan for about four years. But what I love about these conflicts that we address is we're always pulling out the scripture to line up with what we're trying to communicate. And what I found is mine and Jordan's relationship is much more stronger than any other relationship in my life because it's centered on the gospel. But every so imagine if I just never approached these issues. We, we have these discussions, but they're healthy. It's easy to look at the, the, the things that you would address. Right. And this is what I love about Jordan. The last three weeks on Wednesday night, you know what Jordan talked about every single week? He talked about sin. He named him. He named the sin that, that, that he, he, he addressed the sin that he actually knew was happening in the church. Now, it wasn't calling out names, right? But as a pastor, he's pointing things, but guess what he's cupping it with? I struggle with these two. I'm identifying that I struggle with these sins too. But there's a God that works in me that is transforming me. And so what's awesome is after service, we get a bunch of people coming up and just thanking, thanking Jordan for communicating this thing. Because sometimes we don't name the sin, so we just assume that you get what we're saying. We got to call these things out. But you cup it with love. You let people know there's a correction in love. And when we normalize that we are fallen people, that we are saved by grace, we have to communicate how do we explain that we need Christ? 
And it's his saving grace that transforms us. Galatians 2, 17. But suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ, and then we are found guilty because we have abandoned the law. Would that mean that Christ has led us into sin? Absolutely not. Paul understood the law like the back of his hand. He also knew that he couldn't be saved by obeying God's law. This was a a vigorous cycle that was impossible to keep. But it reveals the inability to be perfect, but it also makes me appreciate the perfect God that lays down his life, that through his death on the cross, through faith in the finished work, we now have access to this grace. Where the law conditions me to work to, to get the approval and the grace of God. Where the atonement of Christ is through faith where Jesus says, I did the work that no man can boast. I do the work, so trust in me. I come, my blood dwells in you, my spirit dwells in you. Now you operate from me. I in you, you in me. And there's this oneness, there's this beautiful connection that you abide in Christ and you begin to bear the fruit of what he paid for. And this becomes so essential in our faith, is justification. The whole focal point of this passage is that we are justified because of the sacrifice that Jesus did. We are made right because of his death. And I'll, I'll close with this. When I think about 19 to 21, for when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all of its requirements so that I might live for God. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in the earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could, be made, could make us right with God, then there is no need for Christ. This is why your testimony matters. You know your testimony better than anyone. And what Paul is, is saying in this passage, hey, I have died to my old self. And if there's something that I appreciate when I get to share my testimony, is I can tell you exactly how God saved me, where I was at. I can articulate it better than anybody else. And Paul is, but Paul is reminding and is directing them back to the cross. The Bible gives us few illustrations of this justification. There's a judicial explanation. There's about four. There's the judicial explanation. There's the clothing illustration. There is the uh, financial illustration. And then there's the merchant illustration. But just to, to explain the judicial illustration of being justified. The judicial illustration is that we are going to stand before the judgment seat of God. And as we stand before God, you and I are in debt. Stand before God, we have sin after sin of our whole lifetime. And while you're standing in court, Jesus is standing next to you as you put your trust in him. And what the judge sees is he sees a sinless, obedient, humble son of God 
and what he achieves on the cross, that the judge brings down the gavel and you are made right to what Jesus did. That's, that's the judicial justification. And then there's the, the clothing illustration where we stand before the judgment seat of God, naked, like in the garden, but we're visible. What's visible is our sin. So we are beaten and bruised and we're oozing with this filth of sin. But what God does through faith in Jesus is he drapes you with the righteousness of God, of Jesus. And, and, and this is a beautiful picture that you and I are justified through what? Did you do anything to deserve any of that? Grace is giving you what you don't deserve. Right? Or or mercy is is not giving you what you do deserve. And when I think about the symbol of the cross and how often I don't appreciate it, when you think about the meaningless, often we look at the, uh, the grace of God as meaningless. This is the most meaningful thing that as believers we need to cling on to. Be reminded of every single day, afresh, to refresh your, 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 your heart to realize that God's grace is new every day. Right? God's grace is renewing the way we think, the way we see the world, the way we treat our marriages, the way we treat our families, the way we treat our community. And it empowers us to transform into his likeness. Spiritual formation comes when we understand that God's truth to be put in its right place and to receive it, and then as we receive it, we're going to go and share it. And so today, I pray that we as a people can be mindful the influence that we have and the most powerful gift that you have is in Jesus. And when you leave here, you all each have this amazing opportunity to share this powerful gift with those that you come into contact with. Not just by what you say, but how you live your life. Peter got it right. We all know this. But he needed the Paul to, to correct him to make it right in giving him this gospel. Father God, thank you so much for your good news. And thank you for Cedars Church and the opportunities that we get to learn about correction, to learn about your saving grace and how we are justified through faith alone, Lord. Lord, help us to go from here understanding the importance of knowing your truth and knowing the story. But if we see the story not only being told wrong or if we see the story lived out wrong, may we have the courage, like Paul did to Peter, to speak up about it, to be gracious in the process. Lord, I just thank you so much for this community and the, the ways that we can be a beacon of light. And uh, just go before us. Help us to run this race, God, so that we don't run in vain. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Go in peace. Love you guys.